All right, guys, I want to say uh, welcome to Salt City Church online. This is something that I never thought I'd be doing before, and I'm excited to, to be able to speak God's word. Because as I was thinking about giving this message, I was thinking that in this time of uncertainty, what we can stand on, what's certain, is God's word. And we know that God's word remains true even when everything around us is falling apart. And something that's true when suffering or uncertainty comes is that you get thrown off guard and you don't uh, know what's up or what's down. And so we need God's word to stand on. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do the same thing that we do every single week at Salt City Church, and that's that we're going to open up God's word and we're going to hear God speak to us. And I think one thing you might be feeling right now is you might be feeling like uh, you used to trust in God or you used to have joy or you used to uh, believe in his truth, and now it's a lot harder to do that. And I think that, uh, at least when I've experienced suffering or uncertainty in the past, I, I describe it as like the difference between Christmas before I had kids and Christmas after having kids. And so Christmas before I had kids, it was like you, you're just enjoying it completely, and, and other people are cooking the food for you, and other people are giving you presents, and, and you're just sitting there, and you're sort of just a, a consumer, and the joy comes very naturally to you. But then after you have kids, what begins to happen is that you begin to realize that your parents have worked really hard to make Christmas enjoyable for you for your whole life. And so you, you start to realize that what was natural for you actually has been really hard work for other people. And, and what's true is when we experience suffering in the Christian life, we realize that what used to seem natural to us is actually not natural, and that the joy that we experience in Christ is something now that we used to think just came easily, and now it's something that we have to fight for. And so uh, what we're going to see in God's Word as we open up to um, Psalm 27 is we're going to see that joy in the midst of suffering is not natural, but it is possible. So that joy that we've been experiencing in Christ week after week now might seem uh, like it's impossible for us to have again because of the uncertainty that we're experiencing about our future. But I want to encourage you that it is possible. And so I'm actually going to give you four practices this week that you can put in, in place in your life to cultivate joy in the midst of uncertainty, trouble, and suffering. When you're reading your news feed, when you're on CNN.com, when you're, you're just troubled with what's going on in the world around you, that's, that's okay, and that's normal. It's, it's okay to feel that way. I think if, if any of us aren't feeling that way, there might be something wrong with us right now. And so I want to encourage you to, to practice these four things. The first one that we see in Psalm 27, we're just going to go straight through the passage, is get a hold of yourself, okay? Verses one through three say this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. So we think that joy 
should come naturally, that it should well up within us automatically. But that's not actually what David describes here. He describes something very different. So you look at his circumstances and he says, basically, there's an army encamped against him to eat up his flesh. So I can't think of anything more scary than that. An army that is getting ready to attack you full of cannibals. And so what David does in that circumstance is not say, oh, it's okay, don't freak out, this is not a big deal, nothing bad could happen. He first, he recognizes that the situation is dangerous. He's like, yes, this is a horrible circumstance. And in the circumstances that we're in, we can recognize, yes, this is not good. And what David doesn't do is he doesn't minimize his circumstances. He actually maximizes his circumstances. He's like, this is actually very difficult. This is not something that I can handle on my own. But you recognize in the middle of this, what he does, and we see this implicitly in the text, is he writes a psalm. So he actually takes the time to sit down and he begins to write down what is true. And so what he's sort of doing is he's sort of metaphorically grabbing a hold of the front of his shirt in the midst of his circumstances. He's, he's grabbing a hold of himself. So he's not allowing himself to be overcome with his emotions or overcome with the bad news. Instead, he's allowing himself to be overcome with the truth. But what he's saying is that he doesn't come naturally to him. That's something that he actually has to stop and he has to take his mind and his heart and transfer sort of his trust from his circumstances, which is what we normally do, and transfer that trust to God himself. And the way he does that is he sits down and he writes down what's true. And, he, and it's very simple. He says, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, and the Lord is my stronghold. So you think about this king, the reason that the circumstances are so difficult for him is what's being threatened in this moment for David is everything. He's incredibly wealthy. He's incredibly powerful. He's incredibly famous. And he's always been in positions of authority and power where he's sort of in control. But when overwhelming circumstances come, what becomes evident is none of it matters anymore. It doesn't matter. The army doesn't care that he's wealthy, powerful, and normally in control. They just want to kill him. And so he is no better off than anybody else. And so, so he stands in this position, and he, he has to grab a hold of himself, and he has to run to God as his light, which means he's saying to God, my wealth isn't my security, you're my security. He's saying, my army, this army that's surrounding me, to protect me is not my salvation, you're my salvation. This tent that I'm living in out on the battlefield certainly isn't gonna be, do me any good as my stronghold. This tent isn't my stronghold, you're my stronghold. And so here's what we have to do. We have to grab ourselves sort of by the shirt metaphorically in the midst of suffering like this and we have to say, no, my health isn't, my stronghold. Being able to move freely in our society isn't my stronghold. Being able to do what I want isn't my stronghold. My money isn't my stronghold. God is, is my stronghold. So this reminded me of when I was a kid. I've always grown up in the Midwest. 
And so something that you're always sort of afraid of during this season in the Midwest is tornadoes. So there's storms kicking up and, and you're afraid of tornadoes. And I always remember when there was a tornado warning on TV, my mom, usually my dad would be at work for some reason when this would happen, but my mom would immediately just say, we need to get down to the basement. We need to get down to the basement. Now, it wouldn't have done us any good in those circumstances to go outside and look at the sky. I feel scared. I feel afraid. I feel like a tornado is going to hit our house and is going to destroy us. Although that might be true, it doesn't help. What helps in the midst of those circumstances is to run to the stronghold, is to go to the basement. So you know when you grew up in the Midwest, you go into the basement, you get into the inner room, you get down, you cover the back of your neck, maybe you get a blanket or a pillow or something like that, you, you put it on yourself, and you, you make yourself comfortable in the stronghold. And, and what we have to do in these circumstances is we have to make ourselves comfortable in God. We're, we're used to, in a, in a country of material prosperity, in a country where we normally aren't dealing with these kind of threats, we're used to sort of making ourselves comfortable in the world. And this is a great reminder for us that this is in our home and, and God is our home. And so we have to run to him as our stronghold. We have to chase after him and we have to find that the ultimate comfort that we have is not in our circumstances, but is actually in God himself. So the first thing, get a hold of yourself. The second thing we have to do is ask one thing, okay? Verses four through six say this. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So here's what happens to you when you're suffering is you don't know exactly what to ask for. And so there's a couple different options that you can ask for. You can basically say to God in the midst of suffering, your will be done. And we see prayers like this throughout the Bible. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But then we also, in the midst of our suffering, have desires. We have wants. And so we also want to be able to say, God, but I want this or I want that. What David's saying here is I want to simplify this whole thing for you. Ask for one thing. And the one thing that we should be asking for in the midst of our trials is that we could be near to God. And he specifically says, that we can gaze upon his beauty and inquire in his temple. So here, here's the thing. David is kind of cheating here. He's kind of saying, here's my wish. My wish is to have three more wishes. Okay? <laughs> because he adds into inquire in his temple, which means once he gets in the temple, he's saying he's going to ask for a bunch more things. <laughs> but but here's, here's the beauty in what he's saying. We have to separate what we want from what we need. 
here's all that you need. It, it might seem like you need a lot of things. You need some toilet paper. <laughs> you need Lysol wipes. You need, you know, that candy bar that you love or whatever. But it might feel like you need a lot of things. You need health. You need not to get the coronavirus. But here's what David would say. You only need one thing. You need God himself. You need relationship with God. You need to know him. You need to gaze at his beauty. And what you'll see when you gaze at his beauty, this word beauty in the text, it literally means kindness. What you need is to get with God in such a way that you're actually able to see that he is not just sovereign, he's not just in control of all of these circumstances, but that he actually intends your good in all of it. He actually has your best at heart. He knows you, he knows what you need, and he loves you absolutely. And so what you'll see as you gaze at his beauty is you'll see his kindness and you'll see that he has your best at heart. And then you'll be ready to inquire in his temple. You'll be ready to ask him for what you actually want. And so it's sort of like this. It's sort of like when... Uh, I take my kids on what we call daddy dates. So I call them daddy dates with my girls. I call it man time with my boys. But we like to go to, to Jerry's, this grocery store right off 100. And I love it because my kids, we made these coupon books for them. Maybe you call them coupons. Um, and uh, anyway, anyway, so, so you get these, they, they get this coupon and they give it to me and, and it says, you know, daddy date for March or whatever. And what they're saying is, dad, all I, I need is to spend time with you. I just want to spend time with you. And that just melts my heart. Like to have any of my kids, specifically my little girls, just say, I want a daddy date with you. I'm like, oh, that's so great. I, I would love to spend time with you. But then here's what happens is we go on the daddy date together and they're, they're going to ask for some things that are reasonable and some things that are unreasonable. Like, for example, all of my kids during these times, we go to Jerry's and they have this huge like case of, of donuts and they have a donut in front of the case that is the size of a cake. And all of my kids are like, can I get that donut? And, and I say, no, <laughs> you can't get that donut, but you can have that donut or that donut or that donut. You can have any of the other donuts, but you can't have that donut. But what they know is that because they, they know that I'm kind, they know that, that I want to be spending time with them, they understand that my response to their request is a reflection of my kindness to them. And what we have to know is that as we're asking God for these various things, that all of our requests to God are filtered through his kindness. So even if he gives us a no or a not now, or he gives us a yes, we can interpret all of those things through the lens of our God being sovereign, in control of everything, and kind to us. He loves us. He has our best at heart. He knows what we actually need. And what we can begin to do 
even in circumstance like this, is we can begin to submit to him. We can begin to be able to say, God, whatever you want me to do, whenever you want me to do it, nothing has really fundamentally changed in our relationship. I'm yours. And if you're calling me to do something hard, you're calling me to to bring a meal to somebody who might be sick, I'm willing to do that because I trust you ultimately. I'm not looking at my circumstances to give me the kindness that my heart needs. I'm looking to you and I trust you. So what kind of things would we be bringing before God? I don't know about you, but there's a big part of me that, that in this, as the news feed's been coming out, as I've been reading about this, that to be honest with you, I've been scared. And I think all of us at different times have felt scared, like this is unprecedented. And none of us have ever been through something exactly like this before. And I think all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we have emotions that we didn't even know were there or fears or thoughts that we didn't even know were present. So how do we deal with those? And here's what David says, cry aloud. Cry out loud. Verses seven through 12. Listen to how this, this king, this guy who's used to being in control, who's, who's wealthy and powerful, listen to how he talks to God. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So here's what's true. Even though David, in his mind, has God is my light and my salvation, even though he knows exactly what to pray, he knows to come to God, to gaze at his beauty, and to inquire in his temple, his heart, because of his circumstances, is still filled with fear. It's still filled with anxiety. And he has to do something with that anxiety and with that fear. And so there's a couple options that you could take that are not mentioned in the text. One is you could just start to to vent all of your anxiety and all your fear to the people around you. We see a lot of that on social media. We see a lot of that even in news articles right now. People are just panicking. And they are venting all of their anxiety to the people around them. And if we begin to vent our anxiety to the people around us, other people are going to freak out. And it's going to be just this chain reaction of fear and anxiety, which wouldn't be good for us and it wouldn't be honoring to God at all. So we can vent our anxiety or we can stuff our anxiety. And so there's different ways that you can do this. You can sort of hide behind a mask of humor, or you can just get really solemn and really quiet. And what's going to happen is maybe it's not going to have a disastrous effect on the people around you, but you're probably going to give yourself an ulcer. (laughs) You're probably going to start to have some internal health problems. And just from the inside, you're just going to start to be eroded 
by anxiety. You're certainly not going to be filled with joy and, and with the contentment that God wants you to have through something like this. And, and so what, what I'm seeing, even as I'm reading articles, is the world doesn't have an answer at this point. It's like, what do you do? Is there anything else to do with your anxiety other than vent it or stuff it? And, and what David says is, you bring it to God. You don't, re- you don't reflect on sort of what you think he wants you to say. In other words, you don't prepackage your prayers. You don't start praying dear Jesus prayers during a time like this and come to God with what you think he wants to hear. What we need to do is actually tell him what we feel. And, and, and look how David does this. I mean, he, he's been a model of faith. And he, and he says in the passage, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. Don't cast me off. Don't forsake me. And now here's what we tend to do to David's in our life is we say, David, that's bad theology. Don't you know that the Bible says the Lord will never leave you or forsake you? Yes, David knows that here but he doesn't know it here. And and so you're going to get a hold of yourself. You're going to preach the truth to yourself and and your head's going to know that and you're going to meditate on that, but your heart is still going to be in this place at times of anxiety. And and maybe what God wants to teach you through this whole thing is for the first time to actually pray, to learn to actually talk to God as a child talks to their dad when they're just scared. Guys, over the past few days, I I told you at the beginning of this point, I've been scared at different points. And I'm telling you that the confidence that I'm speaking with right now, it doesn't come from me. It's not that I am a naturally confident person. I remember as a kid, I would lay in bed, even even at like at age six. And for some reason, I was afraid that I was going to get drafted into a war. I mean, I just had this... (laughs) this vivid imagination and, and could picture the future and, and could imagine myself dying in a war. I've always been a person who in my natural temperament has been filled with fear. But what I've learned to do over time and I'm, I'm continually learning to do, just yesterday, I'm just on my knees in my bedroom and, and I've got my Bible open And I'm just like, okay, God, I have to address our whole church. And I don't know what to say. And I don't know what to do. And I'm just crying out to you that you would give me the words because I'm just as filled with fear as anybody else is. And I need your help. And I can't be other people's rock. And I can't be their fortress. I can't be their stronghold. I can't be their light. I can't be their salvation. If people start looking to me, to be their place of hope. I can't bear that burden on my shoulders, but I know that you can bear this burden on your shoulders. Not only did I spend time on my knees, I also like made a couple laps around my neighborhood, walking and just talking to God. And I'm telling you guys that in the coming days, there's gonna be more days where I'm gonna need to do that. And there's gonna be more days when you need to do that. And so as the news comes in, as the fears come into your heart, Learn to just cry out to God. And what I'm 
telling you is that what you're going to find out is that God has really big shoulders, that he can handle all of your fears, all of, of your anxieties. I, I've never met anybody like him. He, he says, cast all of your anxieties on me because I care for you. I, I can take all of your burdens and he can take all of the burdens of the whole world on his shoulders and he can carry those and, and we can bring them to him. And then what's going to happen is we're going to come out of those times with God. There's going to be nothing left to stuff. There's going to be nothing left to vent. And, and our neighbors and our friends are going to look at us and they're going to be like, I'm freaking out. They're going to start venting to us or we're going to notice that they're, they're not themselves. They're sort of withdrawing. And, and they're going to say, what do you have that I don't have? What's this joy that you're exhibiting? And what you're going to be able to say is, what you're seeing is not from me. I just went on a walk with Jesus. I was just on my knees with Jesus. I just talked to Jesus. I just told him that I was scared too. And I heard him say to me through his word, or I heard, I heard him say to me through his spirit, or he reminded me of, of the scripture. And let me share that with you and encourage you. Imagine the kind of impact that that would have on the people around us, if we began to take advantage of those, those opportunities. And we can actually begin to dream of how God could use even this bleak circumstance for our good and the good of our city, to actually push forward the mission of the gospel. And I believe that there's going to be people who are going to be saved who otherwise would not have been saved had this not happened. If we will just simply cast our burdens on God and have the opportunity to share what he does in our lives. But what we also begin to see in the midst of our suffering is that God gives us consolation, yes, but we begin to reach for a deeper consolation than even God gives us in this life. You know, the Apostle Paul said, now we see in a mirror dimly but then we'll see face to face. And the ultimate consolation that we has, have is that we wait for God. We wait for God. We actually look beyond this present life and these circumstances to the eternal life that God invites us into. Verses 13 and 14. So what David said, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So David says the ultimate consolation in this life has nothing to do with this life. It's about looking to the next life. And, and there's two keys to being able to look to the next life in the present circumstance. The first one is to believe. To believe. Isn't this an amazing statement of faith from David? He says, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In David's most famous psalm, he describes life as walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And he says in that psalm, in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And I think we get an insight into how he can have that kind of confidence, it's because he doesn't believe that the valley of the shadow of death gets the last word. There's actually a place called the land 
of the living. And and in the valley of the shadow of death, there can be pandemics and people can die and there can be unforeseen circumstances. Bad things can happen. We can lose the person that we love the most. The things that we feel are most certain turn out not to be certain at all. And things in a matter of weeks can turn from being relatively rosy and positive and they can turn south really fast. And sometimes our worst fears are actually realized in this life. That's because right now we're in a place called the valley of the shadow of death. Nothing here is permanent. But the good news is that we can latch on to a place that is called the land of the living. And in the land of the living, there's no more sickness. There's no more disease. There's no more death. Unexpected things don't take place unless they're unexpected joys. And people in that place, they don't die. And here's the thing, David is latching on to that belief with very little evidence that he has a solid hope that he will be there. And here's what I mean. We have a much greater reason to believe that there is a land of the living than David did. Here's our hope. Jesus Christ came to earth and he was in the garden and he's crying out to God. He's crying aloud to God. He's praying and he's asking God for one thing in the same way that David asked God for one thing. You remember the text, Mark 14, 36. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And and so you see both things there. He says, this is what I want, but all I need is is what you say is best for me. And, And what God does to Jesus is he turns his face away from him. He, he turns his back on him. And, and he doesn't say to Jesus, enter into my rest because of your obedience, come into the land of the living, but he sends Jesus into the valley of the shadow of death. And what we can know for certain is because Jesus went into the valley of the shadow of death at the cross, we can know that even the worst circumstances in our lives will not separate us from the love of God that's found in Jesus. Because Jesus took the sting out of death. And so although we might experience pain and suffering, we might lose everything that is precious to us in this life, but what is actually most precious can never be taken away from us because death is just a portal into everlasting life. So we can live with confidence. I was reminded of this reality when I was flying back recently from Thailand. I'm on the plane and we had been upgraded 
to Economy Plus. And I'm like, Economy Plus? Never rode an Economy Plus before. I mean, that's like Stevenson first class, you know, Economy Plus. I'm in Economy Plus. I'm like, I got a little bit more leg room, you know, I got this, this headrest. And you get, you know, five, six, seven hours into that flight and you're trying to, to sleep. And Economy Plus is not, you know, anything great at, the, at that moment. Because in comparison to your bed, that chair is, is so uncomfortable. And, and so actually what, what finally got me to fall asleep in the economy plus seat is to just grasp this reality that I'm not home yet. Th- this is just a, an airplane seat. And, and so for a while I'm wrestling. I'm like, man, I just want to be home in my bed. I just want to be spread out. I just want to be laying down flat. I, I want to be eating like some lower sodium food, whatever it is. And I just don't want to be here. I want to be home. And, and so what helped me to fall asleep is, is to, yeah, think about home a little bit and, and to realize, yeah, I'm going to be in my bed soon, but also just to accept the fact I'm not home yet. And, and we have to accept the fact, we have to, to recognize during these times we're not home yet. Jesus is coming back. We will either meet him by death or we will see him coming back to get us. And we will one day be with him face to face. We'll be home. And part of the reason that we're so just torn up when things like this happen is because we know that this is not the way that things are supposed to be. And so we cry out to God. We love the people around us. We serve the people around us. We recognize that our lives are not our own, but we've been bought with a price. We glorify God in our bodies. We look at the hope that is coming. We bow ourselves before him and we say, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be during this time? And we have peace. Let's pray. God, I thank you that um, even though the mountains seem like they're being thrown into the sea right now, that we can have confidence. We open up your word and it gives us a perspective that we can't get anywhere else. And we thank you that you've spoken to us, that you've prepared us for times like these. And I pray for all the people in Salt City Church who are sitting at home right now, listening to this or watching this, God, would you draw near to them as they draw near to you? Would you give them confidence that you are a kind, good God who is absolutely in control of everything? And God, that we can trust you, that we can trust that you have our best intention at heart. And God, even though we can't gather as a church right now, would you help us to be the church and to serve our city, to be different than those around us, to not panic, not stuff, but love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.